Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. God, we, we, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that this time of year, especially, Lord God, we can focus on your coming, this amazing love, how you stepped in as our Savior and you rescued us, Lord God. And I, I just pray, Father, that, that we wouldn't lose the wonder of Christmas, Lord Jesus. We wouldn't get stuck in this mindset where it's kind of just the old thing and the old stories and, and, and honestly, we become apathetic about it. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us afresh and anew this morning. God, we thank you that you always have something to say to us. And so we pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in the service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is fastly approaching the end of 2015. We are 11 days away from the new year. And everybody doesn't care. <laughs> For some... It's been, uh, I know it's 9 a.m., we need some response. For some, it's been a great year, and for others, maybe not so much. Um, how many of you are planning on a better year in 2016? How many of you are hoping, like, you know what, 2016, I am just trusting God for new things, better things, maybe, a, you know, whatever it may be, a, a new direction or, or, or whatever your goals may be. Maybe it's buying a home. Maybe it's moving to Florida, which is not allowed, but that's where everybody moves from here is to Florida. Uh, maybe it's, it's a wedding. Maybe whatever it may be, you, there's something in your mind where you're thinking about, man, you know, 2016, I have some plans. Maybe it's uh, a job promotion or a career move or whatever it is. Um, but you're hoping for something. Anybody in that, in that boat? All right. I would go around and ask you what you're hoping for, but we don't have that much time. All right. I want to ask you this question. Does God have permission to interrupt your plans in 2016? Does God have permission to interrupt them? Today I want to talk about, continue talking about worshiping God in the interrupted life. Because many times that's how God appears to us in our lives. He interrupts our lives, sometimes at convenient great moments and sometimes at moments that we might consider inconvenient and the wrong time. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Jesus is in the business of interrupting our lives. What I love about, about Christmas really is when you really think about it, you know, the way God moves, right? The way he moves, the way he, God, you know, we've got scripture, we say, yes, it was prophesied. God has chosen to use and mix his power, his amazing love, all that he is with human effort and human submission, Right? I mean, God did not need to do that. He could have chosen to do it a different way, but he chose to manifest his power, his authority, his love through the acts of submission of his people. And that powerful combination brings life. And and what we see at Christmas time is exactly this, this God who can only save us, this God who can reach down, he's the answer. And how he chooses to manifest himself and come would be through the submissiveness of, of, of a person. And that combination is what has changed our lives, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. This was made possible, yes, ultimately through God's power, but also through the submission and the heart of a young girl who worshipped God with her life. 
And because of that, we have Christmas. Because of that, we walk, we live, we move. We're forgiven. We're set free. And what I love about this, and this is where I'm just going to give you the end of the sermon now so you know where we're going. God still does this today. He wants his power, his love manifested through your submission and your lifestyle of worship. And that combination of his love and your submitted life, that worship, that's a game changer. That changes everything. And sometimes when he comes to us and he wants our submission in that, it is scary, it is overwhelming, it is impossible, it is crazy. But if we can get beyond the crazy, if we can get beyond the impossible, and we can get to that submission, everything changes. Not just for you, but for those around you. And life comes into our lives. And this is what we're going to look at this morning in the life of, of Mary, we know Jesus is in the business of interrupting lives. Uh, this interruption can come at the most needed times in our lives. I, I think a lot of us, when we've been talking about testimonies over the last few weeks, uh, we talk about, about how God interrupted our lives at a great time. It's been a time where we've been at our lowest. It's been a time we've been falling apart, where the darkness has overwhelmed us. It's been desperate times. And, and, and into this chaos and darkness of our lives, Jesus interrupts the chaos and the darkness. And all of a sudden, our lives change for the better. And God delivers us from that. And our worship, so much of our worship, comes from the recognition and the reflection of such times. Man, I remember who I once was. I remember how dark things were. But wow, let me tell you how God stepped into that darkness. He interrupted my chaos. And because of that interruption, I now have life. And so for us, a lot of our worship comes from that. But then God also interrupts our, our lives in times that we might not consider convenient. Maybe it comes at the wrong time. And typically, these kind of circumstances, when we kind of feel like, wait, this is God, this is, did you think this thing through? You're interrupting my life at an inconvenient time. A lot of times, these interruptions come when we have been saved. And a lot of times, they come when maybe things are, are going really, really well, really, really smoothly. Unlike before, we were desperately in need of God. Right now, because things are, are, are tracking or, and, and going exceptionally well, I might not need God as much. I mean, we'd never say that, and that's not your attitude. But man, things are going well. You're excelling at whatever it is that you're doing. Or maybe you're just on cruise control, but things are going your plan is well on its course. Your schedule is full. And then into your plans. Whether it's into a lifetime of plans, into, whether it's into a year of plans, or whether it's just into your day of plans, comes an interruption from God. An interruption that maybe you don't have time for. An interruption that's going to throw your life off. An interruption that's going to mess your plans up. And it's what you do in that moment that matters. This morning, like I said, we're looking at the life of Mary and Joseph. The Lord found favor in Mary. Mary was a young, poor girl who lived in Nazareth. But things were good. She had recently uh, 
got engaged or betrothed, and, and it's not the engagement as we know it. Betrothed is really this, they were considered married, except they weren't living together or being with one another. They just, they couldn't have those kinds of relations. But, but the only way to get out of this betrothal was to be divorced. Um, and so she's engaged to Joseph. Joseph is this wonderful, righteous man, uh, a man of strong beliefs. That's what Scripture says about him, right? He's a man of integrity. He's a man um, who tried always to do what was right, and he loved and cared for Mary. And life was just beginning for Mary and Joseph. But into the midst of their plans comes the interruption of God. Let's read together. i got a lot of Scripture, but I don't want to miss any of it. So read with me, if you will. Again, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. And then returned home. Man, there is so much to, to love about this story. I think one of the challenges at Christmas time is to, is, is, is to honestly reread this and still be amazed by it. 
And sometimes we read this as if it's just like, yeah, this is what happened. And lose, like, like you, you lose the heart of everything that's happening. And my hope is that God will communicate the heart of everything in this story to you and to I this morning. But, but God chooses the most unlikely person. Do we really realize, you know, obviously we take Mary and go, man, Mary, the mother of God. And yes, we, we hold her in esteem, and, and rightly so. But Mary was no different than you and I. Right? Mary was just a regular person. She was righteous and she loved God. But Mary was a regular person that, 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 that God found favor with because of how she loved him. And, and the fact that Mary was, was young and poor and a female would make her, honestly, probably the, the most unusable person by God, at least in the, in the opinion of the Jews of those days. She was a lady. Sorry, ladies, but... That didn't do you any good back then, all right? Remember the Pharisees? A lot of times they would avoid women, all right? So God was going to use this, this lady, this young, poor lady. They're guessing that she was probably 13 to 14 years old. And so God chooses this, 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 this lovely young lady, the most unlikely of characters. God isn't looking at the external qualifications, right? God's not looking at what the world looks at. God is looking at the heart. God is looking at the character uh, of the people that he wants to use. And so while she didn't meet the external qualifications, man, she met the internal ones. And God said, man, I want to I use Mary. And so she has everything that God is wanting to use. On the outside, Joseph and Mary don't have what God could use. But in God's view, they have everything. They're not known for their wealth or their titles or position, but they're known by God for their character and for their righteousness. And into their lives, right, into their lives, Joseph and Mary starting off into their wedding plans and into their righteousness and into their reputations comes this interruption from God. And there are two sides to this interruption, right? The first one, and this is really what we get from, from, from scriptures. We don't hear about the concerns as much as we hear about the glory. But the first, the first thing we want to take and look at this interruption is this amazing honor that God is giving Mary. It's an interruption in her life that will change the world. It's an interruption in her life that will bring salvation and life. It's an interruption that will set the captives free. It will heal the sick, and it's an interruption that will raise the dead. It's an interruption that will fulfill God's plan for this world. But on the other side of this coin, it's an interruption that could have far-stretching consequences in her personal life. It's an interruption that could destroy her plans while fulfilling God's. This honor that God is bestowing on her could actually ruin her marriage or potential marriage. This interruption will destroy her righteous reputation. The very thing that God chose her for was her righteousness and her love of God. This interruption will more than likely destroy that reputation, the only thing that she had going for her. This interruption more than likely could turn family away from her. This interruption would bring ridicule on her life from others. 
She would no longer be viewed as righteous, but rather the opposite. There would be a stigma on her life. This child would be a mark of disgrace, shame, humiliation, and immorality. We can't get away from that, right? But I love when the angel presents this to Mary. He doesn't mention any of that. This is about the glory and the honor and how amazing, because guess what? Mary is a player in God's play. She's a figure in God's story. God's not a figure in hers, right? She has a role to play in what God is doing, and God is looking at his story and his outcome. He knows he's got Mary taken care of. And so he says, man, I've got great news for you, Mary. This is what I'm going to do through your life. It's going to be amazing, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary, I have found favor in you, and I'm going to use you. Wow, that's awesome. And while Mary knows what God is doing, I mean, let's be real. She has the angel Gabriel appear to her. That's pretty powerful, right? I mean, if an angel appeared to you right now and was like, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to be stoked at first, probably. Man, this is awesome. You're going to try and dial Gabriel back up. Hey, you didn't tell me how to handle this one thing. Right? Hey, the message may not have been quite complete. Did you leave something out? Need a little direction here. A little help here. See, well, what Mary knows that this is what God is doing, she will have a hard time convincing others of it, won't she? She just will. No one in their right mind is going to believe her. In fact, the fact that she's going to take her immoral lifestyle and now blame God for it is even worse. Oh, no, it's not me just running around. God did this. Now, think about this, right? If someone came to church pregnant, and I'm like, no, this is, this is God's. It might take the angel Gabriel appearing to you to make you go, yes, right? And I'm not going to be some righteous guy who goes, oh, of course it's going to. No, I'm going to go, that's disgusting. How dare you? I mean, really, come on. How dare you bring almighty God into your filth and your sin? Right? This is true, right? The God, you're trying to tell me that God did this and you're still a virgin? Give me some kind of scriptural backing for what you're, we wouldn't even go that far, right? No, we wouldn't even go that far, right? But there's this beautiful story at Christmas time that we love and read to our kids, but if our kids came home and told us this, it wouldn't be so beautiful, right? Oh, praise God at Christmas time. My daughter's pregnant and it's God's. This is crazy. This is crazy, right? She looks immoral, and then she's going to blame God for it. Even her family and Joseph, even if her family believed, and even if Joseph believed by some crazy possible way, others are not going to. And everybody, when they see her with her belly walking around, are just going to shake their heads in shame. Oh, we thought she was righteous. We thought she was this. And so with this powerful thing that God is doing comes shame comes outcast, comes rejection into her life. After all, God takes marriage seriously, doesn't he? He does. And what I would have said to her would probably be likely what you said 
would say. And that would be, Mary, you're really telling me this? Let me read to you what God's word says about your situation. In fact, let's go to Deuteronomy 22 and 23, because these are the words of God. This is what God says about you. You don't have to turn them. I'm just going to read this to you. All right? This is what God, if I was somebody hearing Mary's story, this is what I would tell Mary. Mary, this is what God says about you. If a man happens to meet a, in town a virgin, pledged to be married and sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Are you telling me that God is going against what his own plans are? Are you telling me that this is somehow, don't you understand, this is God's word. And this is what he says, how we are to handle you. And somehow you're bringing God into this as if this is a good thing. How dare you? Some of you might be able to say, but Isaiah, what about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 7, right? Right, it was, it was prophesied, this is going to happen. Do you understand that actually that they would not have understood or taken that prophecy that way in those days? They would not have understood it that way. And in fact, it was almost tied in their belief to some of the pagan thoughts, this whole idea of this virgin birth. They, they actually interpreted it as a young lady, not necessarily a virgin. The only time this would be tied together is in Matthew when the link. So at that time, there wouldn't have been a link. They would have been gone. oh, this is now prophecy being fulfilled. They wouldn't have drawn that conclusion. There was nothing in Scripture to back her up in what she was saying. So Mary gets this great news, this overwhelming news, this scary news, and her response to this impossible news is this, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me, as you have said. And then we read, she puts all her stuff together in, a, in haste. She's got to do something, and thank God that, that, that she knows that Elizabeth, her relative, is, 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 is having a child as well, and there's a miracle happening, and she just goes, I've got to talk to somebody. Who do I talk to, right? I mean, I'm assuming here, and taking some liberties, and she packs her stuff up, and she basically, in haste, goes to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is about 80 to 100 miles away. That's three to four days of, of travel time. I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling and driving, I have a lot of time to think, right? And sometimes thinking isn't the greatest thing when it comes to believing what God has said. And I can only imagine, and I am taking liberties here, but we're also dealing with a very human person, right? I can imagine in those three to four days as she's replaying over and over and over in her head what God has said to her through Gabriel, she is just beginning to think of the consequences, but how, what if, how is it even going to happen? Man, this is crazy. I might lose Joseph. I might lose my family. Who's going to believe me? How do I? And she's got to be overwhelmed by all of this, the impossibility of it all. How would she even begin to have this conversation with Joseph? Everything that she's planned up until this point is in jeopardy. This life of starting off and maybe family or whatever it may be that they're thinking about, all of that, because the interruption of God is now on the line. What is she going to tell Joseph? What on earth is she going to tell her family? She's going to look immoral. She's going to look crazy. Who on earth is going to believe her? The interrupted life, while... It is a blessing, can come with some hardships, can it? I mean, let's just be honest, right? The interrupted life, 
while it is a blessing, can come with a hardship. And a lot of times in our lives, when God gives us a promise, we see similarities in the way he talks to Mary and the way he talks to us, the way he, last week talked about Abraham and Isaac. He says, hey, this is what I want you to do. But he doesn't tell him to hand, how Abraham, he doesn't tell Abraham how to handle Sarah, right? In the midst of moving in obedience to him. He, he, he gives Mary this amazing promise, but doesn't tell Mary how to handle Joseph and how to handle her, you know, her family. A lot of times when God interrupts our lives, he gives us this amazing, hey, this is what I'm going to do through you and in you, and, this, and, and it's going to be amazing what I want to do. But he doesn't always tell you how to handle the difficulties that, are going to, that you have, are going to encounter in seeing that promise fulfilled and seeing the impossible happen. And so we know that when Christ comes, carrying Christ in our lives can be incredibly challenging. Carrying Christ in our lives can come with a stigma, right? People can look at you because of Christ and begin to assume things about you and say things about you. Some of you know this well because when Jesus came into your life, you gained a savior and you lost your family, right? You gained a savior and all of a sudden people in your own family are looking at you cross-eyed going, ah, this person's changed. They've turned into someone into something, and I don't quite understand. There's a distance that can begin to happen in your own family. You know it better than I know it because some of you live this. Loved ones that think you're crazy, they pull away. They just don't understand. They can't buy into what you're saying. And my father... And his brother, when my father first found Christ, he was the only person to find Christ in his family, and it ruined his relationship with his brother for a while. Times when he would call him from overseas, and his brother would be too busy barbecuing to, to have time to talk to, the fo- you know, to talk to his brother on the phone. Um, what I love about the story in the end is that my uncle, my dad's brother, is now in ministry. So God is cool, and God is awesome how he works. But it, is, it, it will cost you. It makes for tough family situations, right? Doesn't it? And so carrying this Christ, well, it's an amazing thing to have a Savior. It's an amazing thing to have your life transformed. Man, it comes costly. People pull away from you. It can come with a stigma. For others, the interrupted life, it calls them to walk away from all that makes sense to the world, to walk away from a career, to walk away maybe from the money, from the comfort. And in doing so, you can be called crazy I know I'm using my parents a lot, but I grew up watching this. And I remember when, when, when God spoke to my parents and said, hey, listen, you know, you can't really get into university in South Africa, but I'm going to send you to Princeton, right, this Ivy League school. You, you know, my dad will tell you firsthand, he barely passed high school, and now he's going to send you to this Ivy League school. When he went and told his Christian board, because he was a pastor at the church, and said, hey, listen, God's sending me to Princeton, his Christian accountant said, Lawrence has gone mad. Right? How are you paying for this? God's going to take care of it. Oh, that's good. That's nice. Let's have him committed. I mean, that's, but that's what, that so many times, like God says, man, this is this amazing, impossible thing that I'm going to do. And you go, wow, this is great. And then all of a sudden, the consequences of you embracing that thing lead people to make, to think things about you, to call you crazy. I'm sure they called Mary crazy. How many times have you been called crazy for what you believe and what you do? If you dare to embrace the impossible promise from God. 
If you dare to embrace that, if you dare to walk, if you dare to walk away from that, from that, from your plans and from your lifestyle, everything that makes worldly sense to everybody else, they will look at you and say you're crazy. But let me tell you, if you will dare to trust God, God will do the impossible with you. Man, and God will bring Christmas into people's lives. So for others, man, God interrupts their life and he's like, man, will you walk away from your career? I've got this plan for you and it's amazing. He doesn't talk about your career. He doesn't talk about your dreams and all that you've worked hard to. But it's implied the only way for this to happen is if you walk away from those. Because they both can't be fulfilled at the same time. So for some, they might have to walk away from a career, from money, from, from, from a house they just bought, from a comfort, whatever it may be. They may be called crazy. The interrupted life, the promise of God, if you dare to follow it, again, it doesn't come with all the answers. It takes a heavy trust on your part that God has you. It doesn't come with all the answers. God doesn't tell Mary to handle her family, but God takes care of the most important ones in it. Because he would appear to the angel, to Joseph. Joseph, in his righteousness, wrestling with this overwhelming circumstance. He loves this lady. This doesn't, this, this doesn't stand true of her character. This is not who this young lady is, that she would be immoral like this. And so he's wrestling with this. And, 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 and you can see this in Matthew. You don't have to turn there. But, but the angel appears to him and says, hey, listen, don't hesitate to marry her. Don't hesitate to go forward with your plans. And so because he, the, the angel appears to Joseph, who is the right to, 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 to divorce her, and even in, you can see the picture of his love for her because he's trying to do it in such a way that, because what kind of righteous man would marry an immoral woman, right? That's what he's thinking. Man, I can't do this, but I don't want to do this. But how can I do this in such a way that it will protect her and help her? I don't want to harm her. And so Gabriel appears and says, hey, listen, do not hesitate to marry her. This is a God thing. And so Joseph, I'm sure, with a sense of relief, but at the same time, the sense of this burden of what kind of man marries an immoral woman, and now he loses his righteousness, and here they are together, this couple with this illegitimate child from some person, and, and they just, that's their life. That's the stigma. Wherever they went from that point on, here she is raising this illegitimate child who's from God, right? We don't ever hear about her family, right? We don't hear about Joseph's family. How do you think your family would respond? What about the stigma on them? What does it say about their parenting? What does it say about their family? What about all of that that's taking place in this beautiful thing we call Christmas? reality is this amazing honor came at a price. It came at a cost. And I can only imagine that the four days it took for Mary to get from where she was to Elizabeth's house, that she struggles all the way. She replays over and over again, maybe even thinking, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe this didn't happen. Like I said, God tells the people that need to know. 
And so in God's amazing, awesome way, the minute she gets to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit, confirms it. It's exactly what Mary needed to hear. And she says, man, wow. And the, and the baby leaves. She read it with me. And, 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 and so Mary's now, man, here's the confirmation. Because so many times I've always found God faithful in giving confirmation. I've always found him faithful because there are times where you actually do these things that are impossible and then you say, man, God, how is this going to happen? For my dad, it came when he's driving in traffic and this man pulls up to him that he knew and says, hey, I need to speak to you. God's told me to speak to you. And, and so my dad goes to his office and he gives him a $10,000 check and says, God's told me to pay your way and your family all the way through Princeton. How does that happen, right? But that's the confirmation. And I've always found God is faithful to give confirmation. He won't give it to everyone. And some of your worst critics will be those who are the biggest Christians around. And I don't blame them, right? I don't blame them, all right? God's not going to reveal to everyone to make your life easy. That's the only way he would do that, right? Why, why would he do it? To make your life more comfortable, right? He's not going to. You're going to look crazy. God's going to call you to do some things that are challenging and that are impossible. I've seen it in my own life, going to the islands with 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 my family and, and people going, wait a second, what about schooling and what about all the needs that your family have and how is this going to happen? And say, well, God's got it. Oh, yeah, we know God does all things. Are you sure you're hearing from him? You know, I think you're being foolish because that line between faith and foolishness is kind of like this sometimes, right? If it works out, you're this amazing person of faith and if it fails, you're this fool. And everybody's waiting just to see whether you're a fool whether you're a person of faith. So it's, it's not a comfortable place to be, but it's a place where God moves. She gets to Elizabeth's house, and, 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 and Elizabeth responds, and, and I love this. As soon as Elizabeth responds to her and says, man, this is what God is doing, this is Mary's response. Song that we know well, and this is what she says. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Remember, she's saying this in the midst of the wrestling, in the midst of the not having the answers, without knowing what Joseph's going to do, without knowing what her parents are going to do, without knowing all of the answers. She is saying, man, all I know is that this is my God. And if you look at the scripture, what she is saying in this prayer, in this song, it's all scripture. Where does Mary go? Where does worship begin? It begins with revelation from God. We talked about this last week. And in this difficult situation, and this amazing promise, but trying circumstances, she goes back to what she knows about God. And all she can say is, man, all I know is that my soul magnifies the Lord. All I know is that he is amazing, he is good, and he is strong, and he is powerful. And this is what we begin to see. And it's all through there. You can look in your Bibles and look at the references, but it is there. It, it almost parallels Hannah's prayer. We'll get, we won't get into that today, but, but you can look at this. So she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. In the midst of this confusion and heartache, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's not saying he has ruined my life, but no, he's been mindful of my humble state. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Let me tell you, that happened, but it didn't happen right away. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary responds with this worship of God, a worship grounded in Scripture with all the questions, with all the unanswered questions, with all the unanswered concerns. What she does is not try to answer them all, but she goes to the one thing that she knows. I know who my God is. I may not know the answers. I may not know the outcome, but I know who my God is. I have found in my life, when I find myself in these situations, trying to figure out and ask God all the answers is never the answer. But what I've found in my life that brings peace is going back to, I know who my God is. What I found in my life, as I said a few weeks ago, is in my mind when I'm struggling through a difficult situation, I replay in my mind all the things that God has ever done for me, all the miracles I have seen. And as I recall one miracle, it reminds me of another miracle. And before long, I am just reciting how amazing God is, how powerful he is. And before long, my anxiety or my worry is turned into peace and confidence. I love what, I want to go back real quick. I love what, go back to my notes, what Elizabeth says to her. This is what Elizabeth says. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Even she realizes, Elizabeth realizes, because of course the very child she's carrying is a promise as well. And so she said, blessed, blessed are you who believes what God has said to her. She digs into this reservoir of scripture, declaring who her God is, and it's that that gives her peace. She starts praising him, the God who she knows. This young 14-year-old girl would carry the Savior of the world. She would raise him. She would care for him. She would watch him as he was born. She watched him as he lived. She saw and she heard about the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the captives being set free. His own brothers thought he was crazy. His own brothers didn't want anything to do with him. But Mary would watch Jesus as he was born, as he lived, and she would watch him as he died. And in his death, sin, death, and the grave would be defeated. Life everlasting would be given. She gave her life to God, and God used her life to bring life to the world. God is still in the business of interrupting lives. As I said earlier, one of the things I love about God is God doesn't choose to do it by himself. God says, no, it's my power and it's my authority exercised and manifested through your obedience and through your submission. And that combination changes everything. Do you have room in your life, for God's interruption.
Do you have room in your daily agenda for God's interruption? This may not look like a career change, but it might look like my schedule is full today, and as you're moving and walking, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, I want you to stop, and I want you to do this. And at that moment, you might, well, this could be costly if I don't make that meeting, or this could be costly if I don't do this, or this could be, listen, his interruption can come in a day's activities. His interruption can come in a life style, a career, or a year. Does God have the right to interrupt your life? Does God have the right to interrupt my life? If we will worship God with our interrupted lives, we may experience rejection, we may be labeled, we may carry a stigma. But if we choose to yield to him and believe the promise as impossible As it may be, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the captives will be set free, and life will be given. The greatest gift you can give at Christmas is the gift of allowing your life to be interrupted. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Don't underestimate the power of a yielded life to God. God says, even now as he ascends into heaven, he says, now go. Go into the world and make disciples. Go. This is your chief mission. This is the promise. And I will be with you wherever you go. And he sends the Holy Spirit. He says, greater things will you do. Greater things, if you allow yourself to be yielded to me, the greatest act of worship you will ever do will never be the songs that you sing, but the life that you live yielded to him. And if you will live a yielded life to God, let me tell you, you will bring Christmas to people. Christmas isn't about presents and trees and lights. Christmas is about life. Christmas is about salvation. And if you will yield your life to him, his power, his authority, his love, it's all him combined with your yielded life. That brings life. And that is worship. Would our prayer team come forward this morning? Man, I... I, I just pray that Christmas changes for us. I pray that Christmas isn't just this past tense thing that we celebrate that happened over 2,000 years ago. But my prayer is that we would start living this. This is not an example of what happened. This is an example of what happens. Some of you... I believe God has, God has appeared to you, God has spoken to you, and God has given you promises. And at first light, maybe you were excited, and maybe you were full of joy, but then you began to think, and you began to wrestle. Then you began to see the impossibilities. Then you began to think you were crazy. And other people, when you shared them, called you crazy. What has God said to you that you've backed away from? See, here's what I know. 
What I know is inside each one of you, there's a hunger. There's a hunger to be used by God in an amazing way. And I know this because it's impossible to have Christ in you and not feel that inside. Where you want more. You want his power. You want to see him use you. His hands out to you saying, come. Come, it's impossible. Dare to believe him. And watch him take the impossible and make it possible. More than anything, I want to be used by God. And I, like anybody else, can be distracted. I can start focusing on the wrong things. But in the end, there's one thing that matters. Not that I live a perfect life, but that I live a, a, a yielded life. And Christmas... Christmas, life. That's what he has for you. And that's what he has for those around you. And he's so cool. Instead of doing it himself, he says, no, let's do this together. I want you to experience this. I want to pray, and I just want to ask you to respond to God. If you need prayer for anything, these altars are open. We don't want you to leave. Without being prayed for. If you want to come and pray with someone up here, that's great. If you want to come down and kneel by these altars by yourself or just spend time with God, that's great. If you want to kneel down where you are in the pews, that's great too. But would you respond to God? Let this Christmas not pass by, just be another Christmas, another apathetic story. Well, Jesus, we come before you this morning. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. We magnify your name, God. I thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have called people in this room. God, there are, there are interruptions happening in this room even now as we speak, Lord God. God, you are placing your hands on people. God, you may be in interrupting a daily activity. God, you may be interrupting a life. You may be interrupting a career, Lord Jesus. Oh, I don't even know what you're doing, but God, you know. We know that we not, may not have all of the answers, but we know one thing you do. I pray, Lord God, that you would build our faith to look not to the circumstances and not to the world and not to, for, for affirmation from those around us, but God, that we would look to you. God, that you would confirm what you're doing, Lord Jesus. And God, give us the courage to run after you, Lord Jesus. God, let us live this Christmas in our lives, God. Let it be every single day, God. And would you bring life to those walking and living in darkness, God, through your power and your authority and simply my obedience and my yielded life to you, Lord God. Would you have your way? Would your name be glorified? In Jesus' name.